welcome back, everybody. Time for another episode of Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality today. With a dash of recovery thrown in along the way. So if you've ever had questions about the church, your own spirituality, or religion today, maybe even become a bit jaded about the whole subject, you've come to the right place. Because today our show is entitled, Pick Your God, India or Irvine? Proving once again that we don't tackle anything controversial. Our host, well, he was an honors philosophy graduate. He graduated, uh, became an ordained minister, and planted three churches along the way. Taught at a prestigious university and was teaching pastor at one of them. Even served as an executive coach for a while, but now... Now he's just an aging curmudgeon, like all of us, who never tires of asking the one question, maybe the only question on everybody's mind, why? Why not bring him in? Dr. John Bash, welcome, sir. Thank you, Paul. What God do you believe in? Imagine that as the icebreaker question at a party or a business roundtable. Quickly, we would realize why the old adage came to be, you can talk about anything but politics or religion. Violate that, trouble is sure going to brew. But isn't it a legitimate question? What God do you believe in? I work a lot in the recovery field, and, and talk of a higher power is very important there. People will refer to their higher power. It seemed strange to me at first. Do people think that God is like ordering a hamburger? I'll take my God with a pickle or hold the pickle and hold the judgment. Drop the adultery for sure and give me an extra dose of love, sweet love. Reflection upon this took me back to my first philosophy of religion course day one. There you learn to distinguish between religions that are theistic, believing in one God, and those which are polytheistic, believing in many gods. Sounds simple. Guess what? I've watched in my lifetime, and I can say that now that I'm old, the world around me, and I mean the USA, transition from an overwhelmingly predominant theist nation, even Christian theists going to church, to unapologetic, unrefined polytheists. Think about that for a second. Who is your higher power? What God do you worship? Sounds like a smorgasbord to me. How could this have happened? Wait, I have an idea. It's my Western thinking. We can learn from the East. They have a different logic and certainly a different view of God. Now, if you weren't confused yet, you were not listening. Today, we have a guest who's one of the best people in the world to help us understand what is baffling to most. He grew up in India, ended up becoming a Christian in college to join the 2% of that country, which is so, even went on to become a minister, get a degree from Southern California, got his doctorate from Talbot Theological Seminary. Now he spends most of his year in India ministering to ministers and Dr. Francis Bergula. Welcome 12 and a half hours away to Church Hurts and. Hey, thank you, John. Thanks for this opportunity. 
such a pleasure. And uh, just briefly, I love India. I was born and raised here in India and proud to be a person who was born and raised in India. But the opportunity I had to come and live in America, Southern California, especially for 20 years, I not only read about life on two sides of the planet, but was able to live life on two sides of the planet. So uh, all the discussions of the East-West contrasts and commonality, this is a great blessing. And I'm just so excited to join you to talk about the world from two different perspectives as to how we'll see life in America and how we see life here in India. So looking forward for this discussion. Well, let's let's really just jump into the deep waters and light, you know, what's going on in America now. It's so trendy to say, oh, you know, well, my God's more of a Hindu God or I'm more Buddhist in my thinking. Can you explain to us what that means? Absolutely. John, let me let me start with uh, an Indian proverb. By the way, India has several languages. So for all, all the listeners out here, unlike America, where uh, we have a common language called English, here in India, we have at least 15 dominant wow. languages which are very different from each other. So it's not just a dialect. We are not talking about a language which has dialects. We are talking about 15 different languages. Uh, I speak a language called Telugu. It's a South Indian language, and Indians are very religious people, and they come up with all these great proverbs, and this is a great proverb uh, in Telugu. So let me say it in Telugu so that you can have a feel of how does this language sound. So, Durapu Kondalu Nunupu. It's a saying that says mountains look smooth from a distance. Mountains look smooth from a distance. You know, Americans are fascinated with Indians. Eastern religions, and so are Indians. Indians are also fascinated with the Western world, their technology, their economy, their fashions. And so the fascination goes both ways. It's not just that Americans feel that it's cool to be a Hindu or it's cool to be a Buddhist. In fact, there are plenty of Indians here in India who even wear a Nike shirt and feel that it's cool to have something American and Adidas or Nike. So for those who are curious about America's fascination with Eastern religion, I would like to just give a brief overview of how this fascination developed. You know, it started 125 years ago, close to 125 years ago. There was a uh, great Indian philosopher called Vivekananda. He came to Chicago in Wait, say, say that clear. Say that clear. Who was it? Vivekananda. That was the name of this Hindu right. philosopher, Vivekananda. And he came to Chicago, 1893. There was this world religious conference. And he was the first one who made an awesome impression on most of these Westerners. Again, as you started off, their logic is different. They are usually thinking monotheists. And he comes there and presents Hinduism. And I think there was this huge uh, reception for his lecture in Chicago. So that is when, that's the beginning of, Hinduism becoming popular in America. But then I have to come back to where it really turned or took a twist is when the Beatles, who became a big fan of transcendental meditation, they came to Rishikesh, which is a very holy place in India in 1968. So they, they were fascinated with this guy called Maharshi Yogi, who taught transcendental meditation. And uh, that is, I believe, 
the beginning of this whole new age movement and after that came yoga after that came meditation and after that came hari rama hari krishna movement the bhakti fests and deepak chopra all of these guys made hinduism a very fascinating thing for the western audience but the reason it is fascinating and cool is because they only see the fine side or the nice side of hinduism that's why i started with that quote the mountains look smooth from a distance only when you come close to the mountain you see that it does have many sharp edges and it's not as smooth as it looks from there okay so, wait wait yes, before before uh, you go, before you go there francis so let cuz you just gave us i mean talk about a mouthful so if someone's listening they're saying how did he sneak new age into there uh, basically you're saying what we call new age which really in many ways has gotten into our teaching and business practices in psychology uh you mentioned in meditation certainly in recovery the recovery world lots of spiritual stores are under this umbrella that you're saying all's really coming out of the east actually started most people don't know about 120 years ago that ecumenical conference that happened and oh that's good yeah the phone in the middle of the show you're putting that under that whole umbrella that i was mentioning in terms of people think wow that's really spiritual because in church we just had this judgmental god that we're rejecting what about mm-hmm. the loving accepting god of george harrison now you're really going to tell us it wasn't like that like kindo isn't that smooth loving stuff it's not let me just add a few more things to what i mentioned Sorry, because okay. <laughs> again when you see from when you live in america obviously if you end up coming to india and live in india and see what hindus really believe and what they actually practice and all the differences they have then i think all the rosy impression you have about eastern religions you like at least it will be corrected so what you see from there is just the nice side or the pragmatic useful helpful side of what some of these hindu practices do to american audience when they present yoga they don't talk about the origin of yoga they don't talk about the origin of transcendental meditation in fact they are so clever and smart when they brought many many of these practices to america they cleverly carefully separated religion and just presented them as spiritual practices the word spiritual sounds so awesome that's why most americans they say i'm spiritual but not religious but hey you know that's a total different discussion we can have later but the indian gurus who brought these practices there they did have a clear agenda of winning over the west they brought this and it is now so popular in fact it is so popular that there are churches which have yoga as part of their bible study group and i'm like dude you have zero idea of the origin of what you're doing you're just saying it's good for health so okay yeah. okay now so, now you we well, you could really go down this path i can hear you could talk on this for hours but i'm going to just get you back to even so when if i talk about the hindu god mm-hmm. it, is that even an appropriate way to talk i mean what's the hindu god good question in fact there is no one hindu god it's a polytheistic view where we have many gods in fact it is 
popularly known that we have 33 million deities or gods. So mm-hmm. unlike the Western mind where we think about one God who created everything, this is just God who is everywhere and he has so many different appearances and he functions differently, he's worshipped differently. So we, we do believe 33 million gods. So you can actually have a personal God who is in your house, who is different from the God I worship in my house. So India is a very polytheistic, Hinduism is a very polytheistic religion with multiple, many, many gods. And also we don't have a single source of scripture. Islam has Quran, Christians have the Bible. So you can actually go back to, so what do you believe? What, what are the doctrines you believe? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about humanity? Right. But when it comes to Hinduism, because it's just an ocean, and it's a constantly developing religion. It's not like, and that's one of the reasons why we cannot really nail it down and define and say, so what is Hinduism? It's like, it's an ocean. It is still growing. It's still changing. So by the time you come up with a definition, it's wrong because there is something you added to it. So that sounds really good, though. It's kind of an ocean. Uh, you know, yeah. this feels good. Let's get out our essential oils and meditate on a certain phrase. But, but Francis, let's, let's do it this way. We're, we're supposedly from a country that has a Christian tradition. We like to talk about Judeo-Christian. But the truth of the matter is, if you just look at the history, this is really a bunch of Christians saying, I, I really would like to practice freely. And now we're living in a time where people are saying, no, 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 we're not being equal enough. And we're having these issues about race and the uh, consequences of slavery and the gap in, in wealth and all of these things with statues coming down. So this all men are created equal in the separation of church and state and what that means. But you're all peaceful, no matter which Hindu God, it's a peaceful place they would be handling this much better. Give us a sense of modern political correctness in India. Excellent, Costin. In fact, before I jump, I jump into that, let me just give you one more. One of the reasons why Americans are so fascinated with Eastern religions and Hinduism because because this is a lot closer to the postmodern thinking where there is no absolute truth, where there is no right or wrong, there is no. Uh, it, it's it's a it's all relative. That is very appealing to the modern or postmodern American mind because I, I would like to be part of that religion where there is no right, no wrong, no standard with which you can measure. Everything is relative. That's another big appeal for why Hinduism is like everybody likes to be part of Hinduism or they just or brag about I have some Hindu friends, I have some Hindu practices. But as I said, it's really nice to be there and talk about Hinduism. But if you end up coming here and if you have to live here in India, let me answer that question of all men created equal. It's a powerful statement. For, for most Americans, we grew with this statement. Uh, it's the second sentence of our Declaration of Independence. We heard it again and again. It's, brain, it's brainwashed. All men are created equal. According to the Hindu scriptures, which are Vedas, like it's one of the scriptures they have, Vedas, Every human being is created into a caste system. So there are two things which Hindus, they are the pillars of Hinduism. One is this concept of karma, meaning you do something, you pay for it. There is nobody who can pay for you or give you, bail you out of it. So karma and reincarnation, meaning this whole cycle of, that should already raise a big red flag for most Western audience because 
from the western point of view life is seen linear you are born you are dead and you are gone whereas from the indian point of view you keep coming back in cycle of birth so these two things caste karma and reincarnation are very big both in hinduism and in buddhism hindus believe that people are created they're born into a caste let me just give you an overview of the four castes to answer your question are all men created equal the answer no absolutely no but if you live in a country which always practice this always said it aloud and you see it everywhere you don't even question you don't even think that there is a different way of looking at it this is how we lived all our life you are born into a caste and you were raised in that caste with from your parents saying that hey we belong here you look up to these guys don't even associate with these guys you never associate with these guys because they are under you you don't associate with these guys because they are above you so if wait, you, you say life, you say basically though there's four we all know about the untouchables that's the only one we really know about right there's that's the fifth one i will tell you <laughs> basically three more right <laughs> what are the other but ones the, the first one the top one is the brahmins brahmins are the priests and the teachers and the second one are the kshatriyas these are the warriors and the rulers the third one are the vaishyas these are the farmers traders and the merchants and then the fourth one are the sudras these sudras are the laborers now when you talk about the untouchables you talk about the dalits these are not even part of the four which i mentioned oh. these are outcasts meaning there are four castes and no, dalits the are those who don't belong to the system that's why they are outcasts mm. and these are the people who street, the street sweepers the toilet cleaners there are many others uh, right. so you're born not equal and that's the reality with which we live every day here and so basically i mean this just hit me a few weeks ago so there are those whose families are literally to sweep the house that's yes. like what they're going they know they're going to grow up that's what their mom and dad did they swept people's homes and that's what they're going to grow up and do right that basically mm-hmm. they're going to be floor sweepers all their life right yes and yes. it's just so foreign and i say it to you just cuz I, i can't fathom years ago my daughter who um, if she was in her teenage years she went through a real wild stage and she got real wild friends but she started to become more aware of political things and a good friend said i want you to come to paris with me her dad had arranged for it all to happen and it was like a big deal she gets to travel to paris and so here i have my liberal teenage daughter comes home and was just looked at me and said dad that i understand some things you've said now and i said why and she said people would talk to me and say you're from southern california you can be anything you want to be southern california this is from french people not from indians she was amazed <laughs> in france of people just saying wow an american from california how much better does it get where you're coming from you're talking about the exact opposite of that aren't you yeah exact oh. opposite in the sense most westerners what is very difficult for them to imagine is that they say hey that was many years ago and yeah it is still true that india has caste system by the way we do have a constitution we do have laws and they're they, on paper they do say it is discrimination is not allowed we should not discriminate but hey there is a lot of things that are said on paper they mean nothing when it comes to the real world and in practice so in practice even as of today 
in the big cities, in the big metropolitan cities, if you go to New Delhi, Bombay, and Hyderabad, well, you won't see it very obviously, but just move away from the, any big city, you go to a town or a village, it is very obvious as to who people associate with. It's usually mm-hmm. with people within their own castes. They will not intermarry within the castes. They will not go to an occasion or an event with a person of a different caste. So it's not said it out loud, but in practice, it is very, very real every day of our life. It had to baffle you, though, coming here, knowing that, and seeing that sense in the world as you met people of the looking up to, like, that would be something to ascertain to, that kind of spirituality, where in your own life, you ended up making a decision to come to Jesus in college. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? I was born and raised in a Christian home, so it was it was easy for me to really consider following Jesus. But by the time I reached high school, I wasn't even really sure about Jesus' claims because I was surrounded by Hindu friends. I was surrounded by Muslim friends who believed differently. And I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be friends with them. And so I did consider just what they believed. And I heard about what they believed. And a lot of what I hear from them is just this whole notion of karma and reincarnation. There is really no good news. You just have to work your way out. And uh, uh, that that really depressed me. And then it just forced me to think, so what will really help a sinner like me who is guilty, who is wanting to live a different life, but who can save this wretched sinner? So that was my struggle. And the only answer I found was in Jesus Christ, who did something about my sin, unlike most other religious systems where we have some great teachers who taught who said awesome things, but they did nothing about your sin. But Jesus was the only person who not only told me what my problem was, but did something about my sin so that I can have a relationship with God. So that that made a big difference in my personal journey. Started following Christ since I was in college. So there, there was a sense that it wasn't just a subjective experience for you. It actually was an intellectual one as well, where you had grown up in a Christian home, but you weren't ready just to say, oh, well, that's what my parents believed. You really intellectually had yeah. to come to the conclusion, this makes a lot more sense than these gods I'm seeing around me. No, absolutely right. Yeah. So it wasn't just an automatic choice. I was raised a Christian, so be a Christian. I really, there was a phase when I rebelled and I wasn't sure, and I had to personalize my faith. Francis, we're going to need more than one show. So I'm going to ask you, you told me ahead of time, there's a chance you'd be able to stay around. I, but I, I want you to deal with one thing before we wrap this up and and, uh, and get into another show, because we got so much more to dig into. But there's just a part, and this really ties it, you know, this is on OC Talk Radio. And, and uh, we're in Orange County here talking to you 12 and a half hours away. When you came here to study, you were how old? 33. 33. So you come here at 33. You end up being called to be a pastor. Wait, I got to get this right. This is just crazy. You end up being called to be the pastor of what? The first Chinese church of Irvine. Really? I know the difference between Chinese and Indian. What's that about? People ask me, hey, I heard you're a pastor. And what church do you shepherd? What church do you pastor? And as soon as they tell them the name and they're like, they have this blank look on their face. What? An Indian ending up being the pastor, the English 
of an English congregation. It's a Chinese church in Irvine. And like this was while I was at Talbot, I, ha- I was doing some visiting preaching here, there and other churches. And uh, this church asked me to come and preach a couple of times. And uh, one of the things they liked is that I actually worked a lot with college students and I love talking to students about God and faith. And since we are right next to UCI in Irvine, they said, hey, would you mind coming and becoming our pastor and just help us with our university students ministry? And so that, that's the that's the hook that brought me to Irvine. But then later on, I really enjoyed just working with the Chinese church and ended up being there for 14 years. Only God wow. does stuff like that. That's amazing. And and we, we're going to dig into some more stuff. We're going to talk about Ravi Zacharias um, yep. uh, in the next show. We're going to talk about what you're doing with actually other pastors in India. We're going to find out if it's really safe, because I just don't feel like it's really that safe for you over there, and a bunch of other things. But for now, this is John Bash for Church Hurts, and join us again soon, won't you? And that brings us to the close of another edition of Church Hurts, and leaving us as always with a lot to think about if you'd like to continue the conversation if you'd like to reach out to our guest Dr. Francis Bodogula just go to standingstoneministry.org look him up see if you can pronounce his name (laughs) as I just tried to do our host Dr. John Bash he's also a shepherd with Standing Stone he's a non-profit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving their ministry prematurely. We'd like to hear your story. Come visit us at Church Hurts and where there's a place for you to share and learn so much more. For now, remember, Church Hurts isn't the end of the story. Go enjoy your and. This is Paul Roberts, Rose Sea Talk Radio, inviting you to come back again. <laughs> <laughs>